That's good. It's good to be with you again. I'm with you every Sunday that we're here, but it's good to preach, and I, I thank you for the opportunity. Um, that's always a privilege, just always a privilege. Let's say a prayer. Lord, what an honor to, to preach your word. Help us to proclaim your word wherever we go and whatever we do. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, my Lord and my God. And I ask this and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you, Mark said last week, we are, we are quickly coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I want to just refresh us of where we come from from last week. So last week, Mark talked about uh, this verse and a few others, but I want to just start here. Beware of false prophets, the pseudo-prophets. Oh, it's not on the screen. And they're saying, we don't know. And there's a, there's a cursor on my screen. So uh, it's okay. And probably, I'm just going to keep preaching, and probably it'll just come up. So if you have your Bibles with you, which you sh- should have anyway, uh, um, then, then we'll know. But last week, Mark, when it comes up, just tell me, is it there now? Okay, so go back a slide if you can. And if you can't, not, there you go, is it there? Okay. Okay. So we, Mark preached on beware of false prophets, the pseudo-prophets, as he said, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You all beware, says Jesus, of those who falsely claim to be a prophet of God. A prophet of God always has God's words coming to them. So in the prophets, many, 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 many times says, the word of the Lord came to me. They never proclaim anything on their own. God is always coming to prophet. The word of the Lord came to me, is what they say, time and time again. And false prophets know all the right words to say, right? They know all the right words, but they're their words, not God's. They're their own words, not God's, and they know what to say. And Jesus says, these people are are, are ravenous wolves. They are deadly because it's all about their words. So, we come to the next passage, which is the passage I'm preaching on, and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. So, my question for you all this morning is, who is speaking these words? Who's saying, Lord, Lord, can you lift this up a little higher, Bonnie? Is it a lost sheep that's saying, Lord, Lord? Or is it a wolf in sheep's clothing? Think about it for a second. Because we're called sheep. So is it a lost sheep that's saying it? Or is it a ravenous wolf? Sheep don't talk, do they? Nowhere in the scripture 
Does it say, well, you sheep are saying this, and you sheep are saying this, and I have to... Nope, sheep do not talk. They listen. A wolf devours. A ravenous wolf will absolutely devour. So these are either the people saying, Lord, Lord, uh, not all will enter the kingdom, are either lost sheep, they don't know any better, or they're wolves. So let's consider sheep for a minute. And this is important. Jesus says in John 27, and but could have chosen one of several verses from the Old or the New Testament, but this is a great one. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow. Sheep listen. And this is really important. Sheep listen. In our text, someone's saying, Lord, Lord. They're talking. But sheep listen. You know, this is what's really interesting about sheep. Sheep have really good senses. Their eyes are incredible. They can see behind them. Well, not way behind them, but way over here out of our eyesight. And they have ears that are incredible. Their ears actually turn because they can't turn their heads real well. And their ears turn to where the sound is so that they can hear. It's really remarkable. So the person saying, Lord, Lord, you know, if you're talking, what aren't you doing? Listening. If you're talking, you're not listening. In the judgment day, because this passage is about judgment day, in the judgment day, the last thing you want is for Jesus to hear your voice making your case for yourself. Right? Do you think you can make a good enough case? Do you think... You can justify yourself before the throne of grace. Do you want to be talking? Lord, Lord, listen to who? Me. No, you don't want to do that. Because if you're a sheep, you don't have to defend yourself. All you have to do is recognize Jesus' voice Follow and be obedient to the shepherd. He knows his sheep. Jesus will know you if you listen to him and follow him. He knows you. You don't have to make a sound. Well, Jesus, let's keep reading this passage. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. No, of course not. But... The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And when we read it, I know the, the hard thing is to say, all right, well, what is God's will? So what I did is I looked in Matthew, just the book of Matthew, and I highlighted, I think, every verse that deals with the will of God. So let's just look at them for a second. Here's some of them. Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pardon? Say it loud so I can hear. Okay. Well, apparently it's kind of going off and on, but I'll read it for you anyway. 
So in Matthew 6, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the will of God is really important. It's important enough for Jesus to say, you need to be praying about it. God's will is always done in heaven, but we don't have to follow God. All of nature has to obey God. So when Jesus says to a storm, be quiet, it's quiet. When Jesus says to a fig tree, you're going to die, it dies. When Je- Nature has to listen and obey, always. The demons have to listen and obey, always. We are the only ones who don't have to listen and obey. Don't have to. So Jesus says, pray, thy will be done. In Matthew twelve fifty, it says, for whoever does the will of my, and this is the children's message, in Matthew twelve fifty, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, he is absolutely, and I put absolutely because in the Greek it says he, but or it says is, but it, in Greek the pronoun is emphatic. Okay, so pronouns can can be emphatic, and in this case it's emphatic, and it says, um, whoever does the will of my Father is absolutely my brother and sister and mother. We have a relationship with Jesus. And the relationship we have with Jesus is stronger and more significant than the blood relationship we have with our brothers and sisters. Because our relationship with Christ is, is our bond, is the Holy Spirit. We're connected with Christ. And we are absolutely his brother is what it says. And so we don't have to worry. Our brother will be defending us in the end time. And then Matthew uh, 18, 14. Is the screen up? Matthew 18, 14 says this. And, and especially this in the last couple of weeks, this is such an important verse about the will of, of God. So it, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And what was the big course case, case that came down? No abortion, or abortion goes to the states. I mean, there's still a lot of work, right? Babies are still being killed, okay? So we need to keep working at it. We still need to be praying, but it's still a big victory. And how is God supposed to bless a nation that kills its children? I don't know. It's the will of God. It is, this is not a political thing. It is, I mean, it is, of course. But, I mean, it's the will of God that one of these, even the littlest, should not perish. If you ever want to talk about, if you say, well, Stuart, can you give me some passages in Scripture because I have somebody that, that doesn't see this or doesn't understand abortion, um, I'd love to talk to you about it because there are some remarkable, especially when it comes to the incarnation in Luke, remarkable passages about life in the womb. Life in the womb. Just remarkable. And then um, the next one passage says, Okay, so can you advance it? There you go. Okay. I'm just going to keep. I'm going to keep talking as if it's working. So um, says in Matthew 21. It says, "Which of the two did his will?" 
and that's referring to a story that you're probably familiar with where um, the father comes to two sons, and he says to one, I want you to do something for me. And one son says, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it, and then doesn't do it. You've probably seen this in your family with your children. And then the other father comes to the other son and says, I want you to do this. And he goes, nope, not, not going to do it. Uh-uh, don't want to. Or no, yeah, that's what he said, not going to do it. But then he does it. And then Jesus says, which of the two did the will of his father? It's the one. The answer is, it's the one who did, who listened, who listened and did the will of the father. One said, son said no, but did do what his father asked. One son said, yeah, but didn't do it. Jesus says it's the one who did it. Jesus, um, so it's never about lip service. It's not about what we say. Yeah, I'll do it, sure. Lord, Lord, look at me. I'll do it. It's not about lip service. It's about what you do. It's about believing and doing about what you actually do. If we have correct beliefs, but we don't follow up on the beliefs and do them, we are a wolf in sheep's clothing. In theology, we call that dead orthodoxy. Correct belief, no action. Live orthodoxy, or piety, we could say, is knowing what is true, and then doing it. God's will is doing what God asks us to do, not just believing it. And then this verse here. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Doing the will of God often involves sacrifice. Sacrifice of our enjoyment, sacrifice of our agenda, sacrifice of our time, sacrifice. And if you're doing the will of God and you say, yeah, but this hurts. Yeah, of course, that's the will of God. Jesus suffered pain. Yeah, but I'm going to get crucified. Yeah, sometimes the will of God requires that you become crucified. Missionaries know this. They're out there. They're going to do it. Our son and daughter are going to what is called the most dangerous country. They want to get into the most dangerous country in the world today. It's like, wow. Wow. That's the will of God. But here's the important thing. God's will is not discovered. It's revealed. So you're going, I don't know what God's will is. I'm trying to... God doesn't play hide-and-seek with us, with his will. It's revealed, and it's revealed in Scripture, which is why it's so important that we are involved in Scripture. It's involved, he's revealed through his word. It's it's revealed, God's will is is revealed through D groups. It's revealed through women's retreats. It's revealed through men's retreats. It's revealed through personal Bible study. It's revealed as we go to worship. Some of you may leave worship today and go, oh, I think I understood something God wants me to do. Okay, because it's come through his word and the preaching of his word. 
I really hope this next slide comes up because I like it. And uh, the Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions. Let me say it again because it's the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions. I don't know who said that. Anonymous. But bread is bread because it reveals God's word, which is why we need to be in it. We need to be around it. We need to be in groups. And I know it's hard, and it will take some sacrifice to make it to a Bible study, to make it to a men's D group, or to, to go, you know, to, to a word study fellowship. And we sacrifice. But that's where we discover God's will. Because God's will is not, is not, um, is not discovered, it's revealed. It's revealed through his word. So these people that are saying, Lord, Lord, it continues. And um, did that little slide come up? It says this. On that day, many will say, again, there's the word, they're just going to say, they're going to talk, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in, the, in your Bibles, I don't know if it has it, but it's in the verbs. So this is how we need to read it. Did we not prophesy in your name? And did not we cast out demons in your name? And did not we do mighty works in your name. Did not we. Did not we. Did not we. Oh, in your name. In your name is just kind of a afterthought. It's about what we did. All the verbs in this passage are about we. Are about me. Are about us. Not about Jesus. So if I said... Who prophesied, you don't need to say this, but your response would be, if you were those people, those stray sheep or those wolves, you would say, we did. If I said, who cast out demons, you would say what? We did. If I said, who did mighty works, you would say, who did all the work? Who's glorified in this passage? We are. We are glorified in this passage. Whoever it is that's speaking, that person is glorified because it's all about them. Their voice is heard, not Christ's. And so they begin to realize this passage is about who? It's about me. It's about us. It's not about Jesus. Now, if, I really hope this next picture comes up. Can you get it, you guys? Oh, you know why I, I wish this picture would come up? Because it's a picture of me. <laughs> it is. I took a selfie, right? A selfie, right? So it's a picture of me. And, you know, it's a really good looking selfie. <laughs> you know? And it is. And, and I was going to put the picture up and I was going to say, what is this picture called? And the answer is not ugly, okay? It's called selfie. And in some ways, the text that we lo are looking at today is kind of an ancient selfie, isn't it? 
I want you to see it that way. It's kind of about an ancient selfie. Look at me, Jesus. Lord, Lord. Look, I prophesied. Look, I cast out demons. Look, I did great works. It's about me. Now I want to say this. It's this really interesting uh, article here. It says, people are talking so, uh, talking so, are taking so many selfies. They're getting selfie wrist. It's a medical condition. Tina Choi, 29, works in digital media promotion. She says a successful selfie can raise the profile of and income of her clients. Choi believes selfies are an effective way of sharing a sense of yourself, which is really about telling a story. Where you're at, what you're doing, how active you are. But all that selfie taking started causing tingling in Choi's fingers and wrist and later discomfort. After a few months, she said it felt like a sharp pain in the corner of her wrist and it actually would prevent her from working. Dr. Levi Harrison, an orthopedic surgeon, said it's a form of carpal tunnel because of this hyperflexion of the wrist that causes the nerve to become inflamed and angry. He said the problem begins when patients constantly hyperflex their wrist inwards in a rush to capture that perfect angle. And if you would have seen that picture, it was a perfect angle. <laughs> Harrison showed Choi exercises. Imagine this. He showed Choi exercises to do for just minutes a day. After a few weeks, Choi's pain improved. Now she takes much safer selfies. That is the nature of our generation now. She said, we're taking so many selfies these days. This passage is an ancient selfie. It's about you. And if it's about you, guess what? You're not getting in because you can't defend yourself. You haven't realized it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus wants you to listen, turn those ears, hear, obey. Even if it comes at great sacrifice. We prophesied. We cast out demons. We did mighty works. All are selfies. So here's the question for us. In our daily lives, in your daily life, do we present people, do we present other people with a selfie of ourself? A picture of how great we are. Do we present people with a picture of how smart we are? Do we present people with a picture of how wealthy we are. It's interesting. I grew up in Laguna Beach. And when I grew up, if you went down the main street in Laguna Beach, it was filled with Volkswagens and Fords and, and, and Bu- no, not Buicks, and, and uh, Pacers and, you know, just whatever cars. When we went back to see Brandon, who was down at Camp Pendleton, I said, Bunny, let's go down. This community has really changed. 
let's go down the main street. We went down the main street. And you know what it was filled with? It was filled with cars that probably cost no less than $70,000. Mercedes and Audis and, and uh, Hummers and other kinds. So are we presenting a picture of how great we are, how smart we are, of how wealthy we are, of how good-looking we are, of how devoted to church we are? You get the picture? It's a picture of you for everyone else to see. That's what's going on in our passage. Are you saying, Jesus, Jesus, look at me in your name. I'm wealthy in your name. I'm great in your name. Or do we show them a picture of Jesus? Because that's our choice. Selfie or Jesus? Can people... And here's the picture we need to show. Can people see the fruit of the Spirit? Not the fruit of me, but the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Can they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? The fruit of the Spirit does not grow in Jesus' name. The fruit of the Spirit grows in us because we belong to Jesus. Because Jesus is working in our lives. Remember that passage? All the verbs are about me. The fruit of the Spirit is all about Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit does not grow because of anything I've done to grow it in my life. It's because we belong to Jesus. You know what's really interesting about the fruit of the Spirit? It's singular. It's, it represents the... I remember coming here and Andrew talking about the doctrine of the simplicity of God. God is one. So the fruit of the Spirit is singular. In other words, if you have a lot of love, and say, well, I got a lot of love, but I, have, I don't have much patience. Ah, it doesn't work that way. The fruit in your life is only as developed as the weakest fruit. It's all one fruit. You cannot have a lot of gentleness but no self-control. A lot of joy but no goodness. You cannot have a lot of patience but no faithfulness. So you think about where am I weakest? Is it, is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Where am I weakest? Am I weakest? And that is how the fruit is growing in your life. You don't have many fruits. You have one. And that's the picture that we need to show people. What Jesus is doing in my life. What difference it makes. Because I belong to Jesus. So on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. These people speaking, they speak like they know Jesus. Lord, Lord. Like they're speaking like they know Jesus. But Jesus has something to say to them. And uh, I, so is it up there? Okay. Because um, it keeps changing here. I'm sorry, everybody. It's a little confusing here. Um, but they're still peeking. And Jesus has some chilling words to say about friendship and about being a sheep. He says, then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here's a question for you. How many of you are on Facebook? Raise your hand. Okay, not as many as I thought might have been. But here's the question on Facebook. Are your friends on Facebook actually your friends? According to an appeals court in Florida, quote, legally, Facebook friends are, are not necessarily your friends. The court drove, this question, uh, drove in, dove into this question because of a judge who may have been required to recuse herself from a case because an attorney involved in that case was friends with the judge on Facebook. However, the court ruled that a, recu a recusal was not necessary as, quote, Facebook data mining and algorithms lead people to accepting friends' requests from people they hardly know. Am I right? Or who are only acquainted with them in professional circles. So our cultural definition of friend may have expanded to include acquaintances and even strangers we add on our Facebook. But we have to remember that a true godly friend sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. And a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 17, 17. Will Jesus know us? We consider him a friend, but it's all about me. How's he supposed to recognize us? That's what this passage is about. How will he know us? One more illustration here and we come down to the end. A bank in Virginia recently dealt with a robber who managed to make off with some cash, but who also experienced some issues with his disguise. The problem was his beard, which was obviously fake. It kept slipping off his face which made it very easy to see his face. So in the up opening lines of the report, it said, quote, robbing a bank is hard enough without having to deal with a fake beard continuously falling off during the holdup. In the judgment day, all things will be made known and all disguises are off. There will be no sheep, no wolves in sheep's clothing. You will be exposed for who you are. And you can try to make your defense and say, look at my selfie, Jesus. Look at what I did, Jesus. But you're speaking and sheep listen and you can't make a defense for yourself. Either Jesus will know us or he will not. This passage is not about walking the talk, which it could look that way. You don't just say, Lord, Lord, you have to do the will of God, but that's kind of shallow. It's about who you're living for. 
Who are you living for? Are you living for Christ? In which case, you show people the fruit of the Spirit. They see it in your lives. Anybody living for themselves is a wolf in sheep's clothing, no matter what they say. Doesn't matter what you say. Living for yourself, you're a wolf. Doesn't matter if you're a prophet or an average churchgoer. If you're living for yourself, you can't know Jesus. Jesus says in, in Mark and in Matthew, he says, if any man would follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow. If it's about you, you can't know Jesus. In Philippians 1.21, it says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You know how you lose your soul? Live for yourself. Try to defend yourself. Make it all about you. And then our concluding verses says, verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, your Bible may say, the NIV says, you workers of evil. The word is lawlessness in Greek. It means without law. Okay? So, a false prophet are ferocious wolves. Those who live for themselves are lawless. They're lawless. The ferocious wolves and the lawless both wreak havoc. So if you're living for yourself, you're living a lawless life. You say, how am I living a lawless life? Well, the easiest way is just take the Ten Commandments. Are you sleeping with somebody that you're not married to? That's lawless. Are you lying to your spouse or to your kids? That's lawless. Do you covet? I wish I wasn't driving my pacer. I just wish I was driving that BMW or that, that Mercedes. That's lawless, coveting. Covetousness. Lawlessness. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. You can't be lawless and know Christ. It's really hard. cannot be done. So here are my takeaways. One, doing the will of God often requires a cross. So if it's hard, if it's painful, if doing the will of God causes you pain, if you feel like you're getting crucified, I say, yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, you're right in the will of God. Two, do people you work with, and this is really important, do people you work with live, live next to or come in contact with, see a selfie, or do they see Christ, the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Are you yelling at work? Are you yelling at your kids? Are you yelling at your neighbors? Are you serving them? Are you patient with them? Are you kind to them? Because they're going to see something. They're either going to see, there's only two, chance, two things they're going to see. 
They're either going to see you or they're going to see Christ in you. Which do you want it to be? And then finally, my third takeaway is make Scripture your daily bread and not the occasional cake. Scripture is where the, the will of God is revealed. Let us pray. Lord God, it's hard for it not to be about us. Our culture teaches it, teaches us it should be about us. What about me? What about my feelings? What about my desires? And that's what this passage is all about. You say you want us to do you know the people that do your will, which just means listening and following. That's what it means. And you've equipped us to listen. Like a sheep, our ears are equipped, uniquely equipped to hear the voice of the shepherd. Because sheep only hear the voice of the shepherd. And it's remarkable. And Lord, we have other things we want to pray for. This 4th of July, we give you thanks for a free country where we don't have to worry about getting together in a church. Many missionaries can't even, can't even think about going to a public church because there aren't any. Or if they're seen, they'll, get, they'll be killed. They'll be bombed. But not here. And we pray, God, that our country would continue to uphold that, that right in our Constitution. And if not, we will continue to serve you and to love you and obey you at the cost of our very lives. So we pray for our missionaries that are in, in hostile places. We pray for their needs, which are physical and emotional and spiritual. And we pray that you would bring people by them to encourage them. We pray that they would have a sense that, that and they would know that we are praying for them. And they're specific people praying for them. And we pray that the gospel would go out by their word, by your word of their testimony. Lord, we pray for the brothers and sisters in our church. So many people raised their hand this morning. They are my brothers and sisters. And so we pray for each other. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. It's about each other. And so I pray that on this holiday, at any holiday, no one would be forgotten in our church, that we would remember people and invite them to our house and to our home to celebrate with us because they may not have family close by or alive to celebrate with. We pray for our government. We pray that Pray for righteousness in our government and that when leaders are elected, they wouldn't care about their power and them and what they do. And they wouldn't show us a selfie of themselves, but they would be concerned about the nation, which has been so blessed by you. And Lord, we pray for the pastoral search committee. They're meeting and they're beginning the process, and that's a good thing. And we pray for our elders and the committee 
and, and we pray that you would be preparing right now the right man for this church. We pray that that would become clear as the process moves on. So we thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace to us. And we all the people said in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.